0: We start a series today uh, that will run for the next couple of months, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this series could change your life. It is a series that could revolutionize how we understand our Christian faith. It could revolutionize our lives personally. It could also revolutionize the life of the church. And I make that statement quite advisedly. I really believe that this series could do that if if we take seriously what is going to be taught and we apply it to our lives. I was brought up to understand that full-time Christian service where people like Carlos McHale who went off overseas or people like me who went into the ministry or deaconesses or evangelists or people who were employed full-time to be God's servants. And I guess that for me I had a learning experience that actually, whilst the rest of us who are not in these full-time kind of jobs are certainly full-time Christians. I guess that the problem was that as we developed our understanding of life and the world around us, we saw life divided into what we called sacred and secular. And the outworking of that was that we Grew up, my generation, I believe, certainly grew up believing that God is really only interested and concerned about what we do in church, about how we evangelize, how we share Jesus with others. But the idea that God could be concerned with how we stack shelves in the supermarket or how we do the washing up at home is a foreign idea to most. We've fallen prey to the idea that God isn't really interested in our business deals, in the teaching in our schools, in the work in our hospitals and offices or closed shops or cafes or in what happens at the school gates or in the gym. And this series will expose the poverty of that thinking. It will show that God is interested in every facet of our lives and that we are to live out loud for Jesus 24-7 couldn't help but think this morning, with all the people that you have seen on the platform, reminds me of 30 years ago when I came to this church. There was a document provided by Session and one of the things that said in it, it was they wanted their new minister to develop every member ministry. And I have the kind of feeling that not only the elders 30 years ago, but myself included, understood that every member ministry was taking the pulpit away from the prevail or the the concern of one person, usually a man, into all of God's people, regardless of age or gender, being able to contribute their gifts and lead God's people in worship, every member ministry. And whilst that is valid, I think this series shows that every member ministry has actually an awful lot more to do with everyday life rather than just what we do in church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. This is a series that is dynamic. It's a series that tells us that we are to live out loud for Jesus 24-7. And I want just to share a verse with you before we look at a video, and it's John 15 and verse 8. And this, of course, is Jesus speaking about He being the vine and we're the branches, and therefore you can see immediately there's this idea of fruitfulness. If we are the branches to the vine who is Jesus, then branches spring out in new growth. We love the garden at this time of year. We can see the buds coming on the trees. We can see uh, all the daffodils and the, the spring flowers blooming, but all other things coming to life ready to burst out with fruitfulness. I wonder, have you thought that you and I are together to live lives that are fruitful to God? Anyway, this is what Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I've always taken that that much fruit means I've got to lead 20 people to Jesus this year. I've got to do this and do that. But actually, I think it means something even deeper and more all-life encompassing, as we will discover uh, in the next while. Over the next uh, couple of months or so, this LICC series, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, uh, is uh, called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And a book with that title by Mark Green is uh, available for you to to purchase, Making a Difference Where You Are. You can buy the book and you can buy the DVD series. You can uh, look at it in small groups uh, or together with some friends or whatever in the future. Uh, But the series has a, a number of videos, and this is one of the longest ones today. It's 13 and a half minutes. Uh, most of the videos are between 8 and 13 minutes long. And uh, this is called the big picture. And Mark Green, the director of the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, uh, is sharing with us what being fruitful for God might look like, but also a reminder that we are actually bearing fruit in many places that we don't even realize it in our daily contexts. So let's get the lights out and let's uh, listen to Mark Green, the director of LICC, as he introduces the big picture.
1: My name is Mark Green, and I used to work in advertising, so you can trust every word you hear from me. Now, for 10 years, advertising was my front line, my daily mission field, and over those years, I saw God do wondrous things. I saw him answer prayer on prayer. I saw him miraculously heal my boss's secretary. I saw him draw people to himself, and more than one. I saw him impact the very work itself. I saw him protect me and guide me, teach me about service and humility, mature me through spectacular character failure, through career (laughs) disappointment, and through romantic Catastrophe The point is not That I used to work in advertising So you can trust every word I say The point is God worked in advertising And you can trust Every word he says Whatever your front line This series is about exploring what it might mean for you to be God's person on your front line in the places where you probably already meet people who don't know Jesus. What does it mean to be his person as you do the things you do? The shopping, the job, the volunteering, waiting at bus stops, walking the dog, pumping iron or building the eighth wonder of the world out of Lego with the grandkids. And how can you help each other make it count for the king and his kingdom? Now, interestingly, I've found that most Christians don't really believe that the ordinary things they do every day have anything much to do with God's purposes in time and eternity. But the reality is that God can and does work through his people in a myriad of ways. And they're fruitful for him in a myriad of ways out on their daily front lines, among the people they naturally meet, doing the things they normally do. Let me tell you a true story about a man called Peter and afterwards you might want to pause the film and discuss in what ways you think Peter's been fruitful for God. Peter retired after living for 25 years in the same town and he moved to a place where he knew absolutely no one. He didn't have an obvious front line. There were, there were things he could do, preaching, teaching, counselling. So he prayed to God and asked him, what do you want me to do? And God brought Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 to mind. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And Peter wondered, how can I bless the town you brought me to? So he prayed again. And the Lord told him to pick up the litter. It reminded Peter of Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the upper room, cleaning off the dirt. So he went to the local council and asked if he could borrow a litter-picking claw, and they gave him one on permanent loan. And so it was that on the days that he goes on his walk to and through and back from the nature reserve that's close to his home he prays and he praises God for the world that he's made and he picks up the litter that mars it. And he says hello to people. And pretty soon people started to say hello back and little conversations began. Why are you doing that? Well, he said, because God loved the world he created. And are you being paid? Well, of course, he wasn't being paid. Well, that's a thankless task. You'll get to heaven for that. Well, he said, I do hope to get to heaven but not because I pick up the litter, but because Jesus gave his life for me. And some people have come to evangelistic meetings at the church, and at Easter, he says hello to the people he normally says hello to, and he offers them a gift, a little wooden cross, made, he tells them, from olive wood that comes from Israel, where Jesus lived. Something to remind us that at Easter, Jesus died and rose again. So as he walks, Peter the litter picker picks up the litter and even drivers, drivers he doesn't even know, toot their horns and wave at him in respect and in gratitude. And then on an ordinary day, like any other ordinary day, a man in a white van screeches up to him, rolls down the window and leans out and says, thanks very much. I wonder what strikes you about that story? In what ways has Peter been fruitful. There are lots of ways to be fruitful for God, but often we can't see it. And one of the reasons we can't see it is perhaps because we think that the only things that are really significant to God are having evangelistic conversations and leading someone to Christ. Now, talking about God's son is essential, but it isn't the only way that we show we love him. Indeed, God prompted Peter the litter picker to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, that is, to seek their shalom, which means their overall well-being, their physical well-being, their economic well-being, as well as their spiritual well-being. Similarly, Jesus didn't just come to save people. He came, as Colossians makes clear, to reconcile all things to himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God wants to bring all things back into proper relationship with him. And how did this begin? By Christ making peace, shalom, through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus didn't die on the cross only so that people might come to know the Father. He didn't just die for the redemption of souls, he died for the redemption of every part of creation. So everything we do is important to the Redeemer, Lord, because everything we do has an impact on his creation and on those created in his image. And he wants to see everything transformed. Yes, one day the kingdom will come in its fullness. But for now, we work in God's strength to make our bit of his world as much like the kingdom as we can through all the little things we do day by day. We pray, don't we? Your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, in my town as in heaven, in my home, in in my supermarket, in my workplace, in my team, in this task. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on my front line as in heaven. That's the big picture. Sometimes, though, we need a simple framework to remind us of the big picture and to help us imagine how we might be fruitful where we are. So, through this series, we're going to explore six expressions of fruitfulness, six ways in which we might express our love for God in our daily lives on the front line. So, taking Peter the litter picker as our example, well, Peter modelled godly character, being obedient to God, being joyful and faithful in the task. So, we ask ourselves, how might I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy... Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control on my front line. On my front line with that hugely irritating, noisy neighbour. That galactically incompetent boss. Or that vain-burstingly irritating child. Well, Peter also did good work. He cleaned up the park. Making good work to the glory of God, that's also being fruitful. And we all have tasks to do, whether we're paid for doing them or we aren't paid for doing them. Dishes to wash, shirts to iron, shelves to stack, deals to do, people to serve, streets to make cleaner, and they're all important to God. What difference might it make if we committed our daily tasks to him, asked him for help, consciously did them for his glory? Peter ministered grace and love. Reaching out to strangers to bless them. That's fruit. And there are lots of ways to express grace and love. It could be forgiving someone who insulted you, or giving someone a wise piece of advice, looking out for a colleague, caring about the checkout person, just acting with selfless love. And when you contribute to moulding culture for the better, that's being fruitful changing the way things are done in your family or in your sports team or in your office so that they better reflect God's ways, his kingdom culture, just as Peter changed the culture of the walking community in the park and lifted the spirits of at least one white van man. And as being a mouthpiece of truth and justice, courageously sticking up for someone with the local council or at work or in the classroom, justice Is something God wants done. And yes, being a messenger of the gospel, Peter told others about why he does what he does, told people about his own relationship with Jesus and invited them to find out more. So we too, we look out for opportunities to communicate the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus or to bring a biblical perspective to the conversation or to just tell others the difference Jesus has made, is making, in our ordinary life. And all these ends, well, they work together. Godly character creates better soil for godly testimony. Working hard to make other people's lives better confirms that the gospel is about joy in this life as well as joy in the next. Serving others selflessly makes the message of a selfless servant king much more compelling. Taking a risk to stand up against injustice makes the claim that God cares about injustice much more persuasive. Our lives in Christ reinforce our words about Christ and our words help others to see that it is Jesus who has transformed our lives and it is Jesus who can transform theirs. Well, you may have noticed that that comes to six ends. M and M and M and M and M and M. Of course, these kinds of models can become oppressive. Now I don't just get to feel guilty about evangelism and my woeful failure to crowbar a gospel presentation into a casual conversation about the weather. Now I've got to be a 6M disciple. Oh Lord, no, no. These M's aren't another set of holy to-dos to add to your already too long a list of boxes to tick. These are lenses to help us spot how God might already have worked in us. And they're snapshots of what kingdom living might look like. Snapshots to help us see what God might do in and through us on our front lines. They're there to spark our imagination and spur our prayers. What has God been doing in and through you? Probably more than you think. What might God do in and through you? Probably more than you can imagine. So we seek God's face to help us see the way forward. We run to him and we offer ourselves wholly, Lord, work through me, Lord, moment by moment. None of this can I do without you. None of this will bear fruit without you. So the Lord be with you in it all, whatever you do, wherever your front line.
0: So there's the introduction to the big picture. What I'd love to do uh, in the next few moments is to just think a little bit about how that might apply to us. And first of all, I want us to Uh, read uh, Colossians 1 and verses 15 to 20. Here's a passage that theologians will tell us is all about Christology. Christology is just all about Jesus. It's one of the most significant passages in helping us understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But let's just read what he says, and I particularly want you to think of verse 20, which we'll come uh, to again later on in the next minute or two. But this is about Jesus. Hear God's Word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood on the cross and it's not for screen but I couldn't help but note uh, one of the uh, verses that Gary uh, mentioned in the passage earlier on in Ephesians that the uh, song we learned was based on, and it talks about and the times will have come to bring the, the purpose of Christ is to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even christ so here 's a passage that tells us a great deal about Jesus tells us a great deal of what we should understand about who he is and what he has come to do. But there's something here that I think we've often missed, and I know I have often missed it. Something that we have read and I have read and glossed over without thinking about. Something that includes evangelism, serving God with and through the church, but goes away beyond that. And it comes in that verse, which I'd love to read again, if I may, verse 20. Uh, And this is, if you were uh, able to pick up from the DVD from Mark's teaching, this is what is so important that will change our lives and change our culture over the next while. That through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What did Paul mean by all things? And why did he include earth and heaven? Surely heaven is perfect. Well, it turns out that God's plan of redemption is not just for people, but everything on earth and in heaven. Redemption through creation is involved in God's plan, so everything matters to God, not just some things. You and I are important to God, uh, and uh, in my Bible reading notes this morning for uh, uh, the, the SU material that I use, it was Psalm 56, and there David speaks very personally about his life to God and wanting God to hear his cries and to answer his prayers. And the question arose through the writer of the notes that why should we worry about God knowing us personally? And the answer to that, of course, is if God really does know us personally, then we are accountable to Him. And everything in our life is important to Him. So what's important to Him is not what we do here on Sunday morning or maybe in an organization during the week, though that is important to Him. What's important to God is what we do every single day of every week and every kind of activity that we're involved in. Mark told us about Peter, who was, by the way, an Anglican vicar, who retired and went to live in a town he hadn't lived in before. Uh, Who knows what I might do in the future? I think some might think he might be a lot better at picking up litter than some other things. But that fills me with excitement. Uh, There will come a time when I retire, uh, and, and I will be asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? How do do you want me to serve you? What's my new front line? What's my new opportunity to serve you and be your ambassador, your person in this place? But because God wants us to transform a fallen world, Peter, the vicar, contributed to that by making the park a lot nicer and a better environment for all to enjoy. And he did a lot more than that. Uh, that could be described as bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. The park became Peter's front line, and your front line and mine is wherever we spend our time. And we are already fruitful here. The story of Peter the Vicar reminded me of a Presbyterian minister I met recently. He and his wife retired uh, from a, a church they'd been in for over twenty years, and they moved into a new town. And they moved into a brand new housing estate with uh, houses being built as they moved in. Uh, and they prayed about what God might have them do in that new neighborhood. And this Presbyterian minister from Northern Ireland felt that God was saying to him, why don't you help people bring their bins out and put their bins back in after they collect it? Because all the people moving in around them were young couples with children struggling to juggle two jobs and getting children to school and all the rest of it. So, he had that ministry just to help them get their bins out and put them back in place uh, on bin collection day. And it's been an opportunity for him to meet the neighbors, to learn who lives beside him, and to learn more about their lives. And conversations have opened up about Jesus and about church simply because he said, I will put your bin back in after it's collected or emptied. And so one of the things that we're going to look at over the next number of weeks is how can we see where we live and work and what we do every day and all the different activities between leisure and work uh, uh, and church as the front line in which we serve God. And we need to learn this because I think it's becoming increasingly difficult. You may remember uh, or have seen in the news recently, I can't remember the lady's first name, her surname was Westney, a lady in England who was a senior occupational therapist who was brought to an industrial tribunal because she had prayed with a Muslim colleague. Uh, and she actually was nine months off work through the time of this industrial tribunal, she appealed against the tribunal which ruled that she acted incorrectly, and she has lost that appeal. Uh, And she thought she had a friendship with this Muslim colleague. She had received texts from this girl uh, which seemed to be friendly. She had offered a book about a person who had been a Muslim who had come to faith in Jesus. She had offered to pray with this colleague, and the colleague had allowed her to pray with her, and then a complaint was made. We are beginning to live in a society where Christianity is despised. And therefore, our front lines in work are an opportunity to serve God, and instead of retreating into an isolationist that we'd be Christians in church on Sunday where we can sing the songs we want to sing, we can do what we want to do, we can send our children to organizations, we need to have this understanding that we need to break down the barriers between sacred and secular and say wherever we work or live is our front line to serve Jesus. And how we might do that is what we're going to learn over the next number of weeks we have uh, printed on the order of service for you the 6m's molding or uh, modeling rather godly character making good work ministering grace and love molding culture being a mouthpiece for truth and justice and being a messenger of the gospel and please note what mark green said these 6m's are not another list of holy to-dos but snapshots of the kingdom of God breaking into our world. And remember what he said, that you're already maybe doing more than you think to be fruitful on your front line. And we might be able to do more than we can imagine through Christ and the strength that he gives in the future. So I want you to really think this through over the next while. As I say, this book is available. DVDs available. There'll be questions every week. There's only one on the order of service today. Uh, what does Christ's redemption of all things mean for you in your daily life? Uh, and this idea that God has redeemed or wants to redeem all things, fallen creation, work, leisure, family, social life. He wants to redeem all things for His kingdom. You and I are called to be fruitful. That could change us individually, but I also believe that if we take this seriously, it can change our church culture. What do we mean by that? Well, let's uh, go to a two minute video, and uh, that will explain what it may mean for changing a church culture. To use other terminology rather than frontline, This speaks of what it means to be what we might call a missional church. So let's get the lights out and listen to this DVD.
2: This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, what about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work. Each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. So there it is in two minutes.
0: Let's pray. Father, what we've heard is maybe new to some of us. What we have heard may be strange. But I pray that we may begin a conversation internally in our own hearts and minds, and as a church as to what it may mean to be the embodiment of the church, where we'll be tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, or where we spend most of our time during this incoming week, or how we will be the embodiment of church in our homes, in our neighbourhoods in wherever our feet take us. And if we can begin to see church in that way, it may transform us as individuals, but also our church. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance and enable us just to begin to ask those questions And perhaps just before we sing our last song, could we suggest that you remain for a moment in quiet prayer, trying to take on board what you have heard and begin the prayer. Lord, what does this mean for me? What does Christ's redemption of all things mean for my daily life? Let's just be still for a moment or two. And ask that question of God. And then Gary will lead us in our last song. So, Father God, I pray that you would hear our prayers and help us just to begin a journey that will excite us and that will fill our hearts and minds with wonder at what you have been doing and what you might do in and through us in the future. In Jesus' name. Amen.